Hello, and welcome to The Insatiable Appetite. My name is Abby Cullinan, and I'm here today with my Hartman Group colleague, Robertson Allen. We get to work together as consultants and researchers for Hartman's Retainer Services Program. And today, we're sitting down to share our perspective on the IPO that everyone is talking about, Beyond Meat. So uh, we're about two weeks out from the IPO today, um, and they're still in the news. They've got a market cap over five and a half billion dollars. Um, and at the Harmon Group, we're discussing really what this means for the food and beverage industry. So um, there's a lot of analysis out there that we'd agree with that there are broad factors at play related to the investment climate, like more tolerance for companies that take a long time to reach profitability. But one of the interesting questions we've been asking ourselves is, is this, is this being valued as a food stock? So, Rob, what do you think on that? It's a really interesting question, uh, Abby. I think that it, it is in some ways because a lot of investors are seeing this as like one of the most recent opportunities to actually invest into food. Um, so, so in a lot of ways, it's, they're seeing this as an opportunity to invest into kind of forward-leaning um, food stocks themselves. But at the same time, um, there is this valuation of it as, as a tech stock, and I think a lot of investors are looking at it in that sort of way. I was just checking the numbers. Um, this is the most successful IPO since the dot-com boom. I think uh, it's increased in value since the IPO just a couple of weeks ago by 370-odd percent. Um, and that's that's we haven't seen that kind of valuation increase for an IPO ever since 1999, 2000s era in the dot com era. Mm-hmm. And you know, in our conversations around our, our water cooler here at the Hartman Group, um, we definitely thought back to Blue Apron um, because there's a lot of hype around meal kits and Blue Apron at the time. And what's different here um, in terms of the optimism that people have about Beyond Meat? Um, what do you think, Rob? What what are some of the critical differences that we can spot from our vantage point? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I think that really there's a much stronger cultural fit that the Beyond Meat um, offerings currently have uh, instead of Blue Apron. Um, Blue Apron is really in meal kits in general. They're filling a need for a certain set of consumers, but... Uh, consumers are really more able to see Beyond Meat's offerings as fitting into things that they already know how to prepare. Mm-hmm. Um, things like a burger, and you just just make the patty in a very similar kind of way, um, and you slap it on a burger, and uh, there you are. You're you're ready to go, and that's that's a meal in itself too. Yeah, so less less expectation around behavioral change, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. not kind of relying on that for consumer adoption. Yeah, plus, and you don't have to go online and subscribe. And there's a lot been a lot of pushback with consumers on these kinds of uh, meal kit subscription offerings, mm-hmm. um, and not being able to really get out of those very easily, or just forgetting about it, and um, having it come at times when you don't even know or, yep. or think that you have uh, ordered that. That yeah. box there. And it seems like pricing strategy might be another area where we're seeing some differences. What do you think about that? Um, yeah, I think that there might be some different kinds of tiers uh, that will be available in the future. Um, one, one kind of interesting thing that we have seen is 
the fact that a lot of different restaurants are offering Beyond Burgers um, at, at the restaurant context. Uh, but the pricing for those different burgers varies really widely um, from, you know, say, like 4 or $5 at a fast food place up to $18 at more kind of fancy sit-down restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there might be some pushback there in terms of consumer perceptions on how valuable this burger should be, especially at the retail context, too. Sure. And, and even from a strategy angle, it seems like a different approach than what Meal Kits and Blue Apron used, where mm-hmm. there was so much promotional pricing in use that it really kind of set a different expectation among consumers as to Absolutely. what they should pay for Absolutely. a meal kit. Yeah. Um, whereas it seems like with Beyond Meat, it's not cheaper than beef, for mm-hmm. instance. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, in many cases, it's more expensive. Um, yeah. So they have some some room to play with there, whereas Blue Apron went into its IPO with a lot less room. Yeah, yeah. And people started expecting to pay Blue Apron um, at these kinds of discounted prices, and that's kind of where the expectations are still. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot that we see as strengths here, but also potential threats. Um, It's a competitive space. What are you seeing out there as things that folks that are entering this space should have in mind in terms of the dynamics among the different competitors? Yeah, well... I, I really wonder if we're going to start seeing this kind of tiered um, quality cues in this space. Um, we we have Beyond Meat right now. There's, of course, the Impossible Burger, and after their reformulation, um, too. There's the traditional kind of vegetarian burgers that are still out there that um, really have captured a lot of younger consumers' attention, especially. Um, and then kind of on the horizon, we're seeing the rise of cultured uh, meats, you know, like Memphis meats, uh, which Tyson has an investment in still. And then the the very big possibility that uh, bigger companies like Tyson, for example, might be uh, entering this space very quickly, too. Um, so there is a lot of interest. And I remember uh, reading that uh, when Beyond Meat announced their IPO, they, they also uh, gave this number of... Um, the, there being a $35 billion market potential for meat alternatives in the U.S. Um, we haven't nearly met that potential, so there's a lot of space that's still still out there for, for competitors. Still up for grabs. Yeah, and not, not just one company is going to be able to monopolize that. Yeah, yeah. It seems like the two camps that they're going to see in terms of competition are these hugely efficient large companies that are interested in the protein space and really expanding their definition of their role in it, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Um, And then we look at folks like Impossible Foods that are still private and and possibly able to move a little bit faster without the kind of process and scrutiny that a public company has to take on. Yeah. Um, But at the end of the day, um, we also think about what this means for the consumer and one of the things that we can't get around is that the Beyond Meat Burger, the Impossible Foods Burger, are still pretty processed. I mean, the longer yes. ingredient lists, um, things that some people won't be familiar with. So where does this fit into the eating that people are doing today and their aspirations? What do you think about that? Yeah, I think 
Um, one thing that we've talked about here at the Hartman Group is that um, there is this cultural fit with Beyond Meat, even with the process formulations that they have, um, and fitting very much into kind of food service expectations, mm-hmm. especially. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been a really smart um, way for them to introduce Beyond Meat beyond just retail context to food service because a consumer's expectations for things like processing um, are are significantly lower in, in those kinds of contexts. They're wanting things that are, are tasty, that, that kind of fit into um, what they're really familiar with, like the Burger King Whopper, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, these kinds of classic, iconic things that are um, might be offered eventually with, with alternative meats. Yeah, and where this may be a little bit of an upgrade, even if it doesn't get all the way to their ideal mm-hmm. eating approach, yeah. um, it's it's still an improvement, and it's an easy one. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That, that accessibility with the QSR channel is something that seems really noteworthy among these mm-hmm. new um, new meat alternative brands. I mean, seeing them, for instance, I know we saw a couple of days ago Beyond Meat going into Tim Hortons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just these iconic fast food companies that are, are really getting on board. So that's something that is probably really different from how we think about some of the innovations that started in organic and natural that seemed mm-hmm. confined to certain channels for a long time. And it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out, given that the way it's spreading among yeah. consumers is quite different. And that's that's really great opportunity for restaurants, too, um, to get on board with these kinds of forward-leaning food trends that we have observed really originating, as you are saying, at retail and in manufacturing op- Uh, offerings too. Yeah, for sure. Well, we see a lot of opportunities for folks in in food and beverage with this space. Um, And really, thank you all for joining us for this quick take on the Beyond Meat IPO. And we encourage you to connect with us on these topics. We're um, studying them closely. We have decades of experience in this space, and we're really engaged with how consumers think about it. So please Don't hesitate to reach out and tune in again for the next episode of The Insatiable Appetite.